The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Thirty-one shows in thirty-one days might be over, but thirty-six shows in thirty-six days has just begun. That's not true. We're on show thirty-two out of thirty-six in a row. I just planned it out poorly. I didn't realize that the last two days of October were going to be Saturday and Sunday. I could have very easily looked and seen that when the first day of October was a Friday, and you know it's not like the number of days in October is changing anytime soon. But here we are. A few bonus shows in a row, 36 consecutive days, we will have an edition of Fantasy NBA Today. Today, I want to talk to you about Jaron Jackson Jr. You guys keep asking me to do these beginning-of-the-show rants, so we're going to do a beginning-of-the-show rant today. JJJ, through six ball games is number 78 in nine-category leagues, and that, friends, is not what you were drafting him for. You took him probably around... 40 to 46 range, I think, is where he was going in most relatively competitive leagues. You saw him fall back to the later 40s in some more intermediate leagues. But let me first start by just saying, if you took him at like 45 and he's in the 70s, he's not that far behind where you need him to be. But the thing is, I think everybody that took him, myself included, Took him in the 40s with the expectation that on a per-game basis, he would actually be in front of that mark, and we'd then work in the potential for missed ball games around that. Good news on the JJJ front, the Grizzlies have had two back-to-backs. He's played in both. So at least in the early going here, that hasn't been a factor. And you might say Danny played 18 minutes in the front end of their most recent back-to-back. Yes, that's true, but he played 31 and 28 in both halves of the first one. So it was not so much about uh, a health thing as he was in foul trouble and not playing very well. So far this year, JJJ is averaging 12.7 points, 5.2 rebounds, 1.3 assists, 0.7 steals, 1.7 blocks, and two exactly on the nose. Three-pointers in 27 and change minutes per ballgame. He's also made 18 out of 18 free throws. That's kind of cool. Although 14 of those came in his first three ballgames, and four have come in his most recent three, so less cool. He's attempting a career-high 7.3 three-pointers per ball game, which is 0.8 higher than where he was at during his sophomore campaign, which was two seasons back, the the COVID-shortened 2019-2020. Just as a point of reference, that season, JJJ averaged 17.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, 1.5 assists, 0.7 steals, sound familiar? 1.6-ish, 1.7 blocks, sound familiar? On 47% shooting from the field, 40-ish, 39 from three, and 75 at the free throw line. I think we can safely say his free throw stroke is better since then. He worked on it a lot, presumably during his injury time off. Shot 84% at the free throw line last year over the regular and the postseason. 
Actually, if you split it up, it was 83 regular, almost 88 postseason, and he's at 100 this year, although I think we can safely say that's not going to hold. Last year, he shot 42% from the field while working his way back from his long absence due to the meniscus surgery. After shooting 51% his freshman year, say freshman, his first season in the NBA, and then 47 the year after that when he went uh, a bit more heavy into the three-pointer stuff. I believe the easiest way to handicap JJJ is to look at what he did two years ago before the league shut down. That season where he was at 17.5 points per game, 4.5 rebounds, and 2.3 combined defensive stats, he was in the 60 range, largely because his free throw stroke was weighing him down, and his rebounds at 4.6 were unseasonably low for a power forward. I believe that we can safely adjust up on his rebounding from 4.6, not by a ton, but he was at 5.6 last year in more limited minutes, and they're going to a smaller team as a whole. Steven Adams' minutes are trending down. Xavier Tillman is the backup center. JJJ is going to see some time at that spot. But just not having Jonas Valanciunas out there is going to make rebounding easier for everybody else. Not to say that, like, JV made it harder. It's just that he was very, very good at it, so there wasn't as much left over. So adjust rebounds up. What about the blocks, though? And I think this is something where we all get caught up a little bit. There's this weird assumption that he's going to be Miles Turner and go for, like, three blocks a ball game. His his career mark, when he can stay out of foul trouble, has been much more in that 1.7 range, which is still pretty damn good. There aren't that many guys that are blocking more than 1.7 shots per ball game. That puts him generally, generally, inside the top 15 in the NBA. And right now he's number 11 in that department. And, you know, the guys in front of him, I don't know that any of them are necessarily going to fall back of JJJ. You probably see Clint Capella. Maybe he moves in front of him. Rudy Gobert probably moves in front. Maybe Al Horford falls back behind 1.7. He's at 3.5 right now, so that's not going to stick. Daniel Gafford, probably up there in that territory. So things could jump up, jump down a little bit if Mo Bamba's playing time decreases. Regardless, with JJJ, you're talking about basically like a top 10, top 12 shot-blocking guy who, like Cat and Porzingis, basically, also hit three-pointers. That is that rare combination that makes fantasy value so crazy easy to find. What we cannot suffer at the moment is the fact that he's missing everything. He's missing everything. 30% is ungodly. But it's also it also makes him one of the easiest buy lows that you could ever imagine. Because even in what I think we can all assume is kind of a worst-case scenario, his field goal percent is going to get back up to the 42-43 it was last year and probably gets beyond that. I also think that as he gets confident, he's probably going to take more shots. I don't know that he's constrained to 12 and a half. You might see 13 and a half, 14, somewhere in that neck of the woods. He might be a guy who gets up around three three-pointers per ball game. And the fact that his free throw percent is now actually a net positive for him This is a guy who can power towards the top 30 just because of his unique stat set. But, as we just mentioned a moment ago, he's at 78 
right now. And it makes him gettable because not only is he being at 78, but people don't appreciate the fact that he's at 2.4 defensive stats and two three-pointers. Everybody's just going to look at 12 and a half points and say he's not doing it. Or the five and change rebounds and say he's not doing it. I spent on a guy who I wanted to get eight rebounds a ball game. Would never going to be his goal. That wasn't, that's not who he is. He's not an eight rebounds a game guy. We were targeting six this year with JV out of town. Six would be the good mark. Could you get him for someone that maybe you drafted in the 70s that's performing in the 50s right now? If you can, you should. Because even just a reversion to the mean on his shooting is enough to move him back to his ADP. Because 30%, and, and, you know, we can do this math together on air if you guys want. Not that, like, I can put out a mid-podcast poll or anything. But 30%, he's at 12.7 shots right now with one sick, disgusting foul trouble game mixed in. We'll just round up to 13 shots. If suddenly his, well, what's he at right now? 12.7 times uh, .303. He's only making 3.85 shots per ball game. If you adjust that up to 45% out of 12.7, things bit quite a bit better. Now you're at 5.72 shots per game. So just that little bit. And it's it's a lot easier to just do it from a straight points perspective, but again, he's at he's at 12.7 points on 12.7 shots. So that's a nice, easy math number to do. Um, basically, what you're looking at is assume 45% is, is where he's headed at some point along the way. That's 33% better. So just add a third to stuff. Two threes becomes 2.7, basically, three-pointers. 13 points becomes close to 20 because he's making his free throws, which, again, that number will come back. But even if you want to play the conservative estimate game here and say, you know, 17 or 18 points, two and a half to three three pointers, somewhere in there, if the other stuff holds, that alone makes him now a positive in scoring, a big positive in three pointers. He's already a big positive in blocks. He's right around league average in steals out of a center eligible player. That's great. He's been great at free throws. And you eliminate the field goal percent big negative and turn that into a very small one. He goes from 78 to 40s just with a mean reversion on field goal percent. That's not even including any possible upside if he starts to get confident and take a couple more shots. And John Morant was quoted in a bunch of, in, in some pressers for Memphis Media today. I, I picked this up actually from our own Hoopball Grizz uh, Twitter feed because they're covering that stuff in the room. They're in the Zoom room. Great job by those guys again, by the way getting us these quotes. Jaw's talking about how he needs to get Jaron Moore involved. Because if you're the creator on the team, which Morant certainly is, it's your job to get everybody into their rhythm. They're going to be focused on getting JJJ more action, more looks from his comfort spots. Get him going. Get him an easy bucket, heaven forbid, every once in a while. Because he's been getting chewed up by some of the tougher defenders. Get him going. 40s without any upside. 30s with it. 20s if everything goes nuts, which I do think is a possibility. You know, if he has a particularly good shot blocking year, that goes up from 1.7 to 2 along with everything else we've been talking about. Now you got yourself a late second, early third kind of guy who's not taking games off so far. 
And that's your case for JJJ. Now, if you were trying to figure out who you could potentially trade for him, I think what I would probably do is go to Yahoo's pre-ranks and look for guys drafted between 50 and 75 that are performing about, I don't know, two to three rounds better than expected in there. But don't go crazy here because you can get him for like, you don't, I don't think you need to trade JV or Ja or CJ McCollum right now. These are guys drafted in the 50s who are uh, inside the top 15. DeJounte Murray is number 20 right now. You could easily get him for him, but I don't think you need to spend that much. Malcolm Brogdon was drafted in the 60s. He was basically number 20 before his injury. That might be a guy I'd look at moving before his stuff kind of settles back to earth and all of his injury woes. Jakob Pertl's number 56 right now. That might not be enough. Is there anybody drafted after 75 that's like in the 30 or 40 range? Miles Bridges, I think you could aim higher. Evan Fournier, that's not going to be enough. Evan Mobley, you might be able to get Joff, or, uh, JJJ for Evan Mobley right now, which I think you should do if you can. Kemba, eh, that won't be enough. Al Horford would be a really interesting one. He's number three on a per-game basis, but we all know that ain't holding. He's at 5.1 combined defensive stats, and he's averaging a double-double. Al Horford was never a double-double guy, even in his heyday. There's a weird little sell high. Got Big Al? See if you can get someone who was drafted in the 40s for him. Okie dokie! Show opening rant complete. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. It's our last non-reverse chronological lightning round Monday. So let's just dive right into the juicy stuff. But first, please do take a second to rate and review the podcast. I know, I know, I'm super annoying with this stuff, but this is what I need this time of year from you guys. Draft season is done. We're settling into the routine now. So if you have 90 seconds, open the podcast app on your mobile device, search for Fantasy NBA Today, and scroll down to the bottom. If you're on iTunes, on a computer, it's pretty similar. You just go to the podcast tab, search for Fantasy NBA Today. The, the thing that's annoying is that you have to search for Fantasy NBA Today and click on the show title as opposed to, you're already listening to the show, there should be a place to just rate and review it quickly that way, but there isn't. So you have to kind of back out, search for the the pod, click on the name, and then scroll down if you're on a mobile device. And if you're on iTunes, there's just a little rating button. So please do drop a five-star review if you want to write something funny, awesome. I read through them. I'll read the funny ones on air. You'll get your name read if it's clean. Uh, If not, five stars, then don't write anything. I don't, you know, that actually awesome also you guys are all my favorites i love you from the bottom of my heart as we continue to try to grow this thing so please do do that for me uh and also follow me on twitter at dan bespris d-a-n-b-e-s-b-r-i-s tweet storms uh i've got them going again this year we've got what to watch for in the daytime i've got all these little twitter games we've been playing to figure out player values trade opportunities and i got a whole bunch of more ideas up my sleeve please do try to find me on the twitter's at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Another reason if you'd like to hit me up over there. We are continuing to recruit here at HoopBall. Are you a salesperson? Are you particularly good on the phone? Maybe you'd like to come make a little money at HoopBall. Or would you like to cover a team? we got a bunch of new team pods in the works right now, but there are still a few remaining uncovered teams in the NBA. You can hit me up on that front. Fantasy Riders, DFSers. All of that. Hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris or email teamhoopball 
at hoop-ball.com. Injury news for the morning was somewhat plentiful. Joel Embiid had an MRI, but he is expected to play in their next ball game. He's out tonight, however, due to rest. So, again, this is the so the this is why we dodged him. It's just horrifying to have Joel Embiid as your first round pick. Scotty Barnes, superstar Raptors rookie is doubtful for their ball game today with a thumb injury. He's an interesting little case study because he's number 101 and no way in hell would I have guessed 101. If you were like, where do you think Scotty Barnes is right now? And I said top 65. But what I didn't realize is that while he's shooting 55% from the field, which, by the way, feels somewhat unsustainable, although admittedly he's not really shooting very much. Um, he's mostly attacking. He doesn't have almost any defensive stats. He's not passing very much, which we all thought he was going to be more boards and assists. And his free throw stroke has not developed yet. He's at three and a half free throws a game at 71%. He's a really weird case study right now of points, rebounds, and field goal percent from a wing player. And I think you could actually probably sell on him because I bet a lot of people are like me that are just like, oh, yeah, Scotty Barnes, he's probably top 65, and he's 101. What? Other good news, however, Daniel Gafford expected to play tonight for Washington, so that's going to put a little bit of a clamp on Montrez Harrell, although it seems like he's just rolling right now. So you could probably stick with it. I think I'd play Gafford if I had him. I saw him dropped in a couple of spots because people just didn't know what they were drafting with him, which is intensely high field goal percent, some rebounding, but really field goal percent and blocks all the way to the bank. And people just wanted more, which was never really the thing. Anyway, um, why he's floating around, I don't know, but... If he is, you take him. Zion, reevaluated. Uh, he's expected to miss at least two to three more weeks, so that situation continues. John Morant is questionable. Kristaps Porzingis is questionable for the next ball game. DeAndre Ayton is questionable for the next ball game. Uh, and that's basically the big stuff, at least for now. Sunday. Let's cover the Sunday games here. There weren't very very many of them, so I, I don't I felt like today was a really good day for a nice long rant at the front end. Sacramento was in Dallas, and the Kings continue to be a very easy team to handicap, although woof. Hopefully I talked enough of you guys out of drafting De'Aaron Fox. He is not inside the top two hundred right now. Yikes. That's a little bit of a buy low, although the problem is that I don't think he's getting anywhere near where everybody drafted him anyway. So I think people are going to, even a, even a buy low probably isn't low enough for it to be worth your while. Like you could probably get him for someone that's performing in the sixties, but I think that's where he was probably headed anyway. So there's no profit margin there. Meanwhile, quietly Tyrese Halliburton, 14, six, four, two blocks, a three pointer. He's been, like right on his ADP and people are seemingly more annoyed with him than they are with Fox, which I totally don't get. Whatever. I, I mean, I guess by that account, you could buy Halliburton low, but he's right on his ADP. So I it shouldn't be classified as low, but it, it is because it's just a perception thing. Harrison Barnes was good again. Not quite as good. 
but he's holding his value right now at number 12. That's very much a sell high. And when we say sell high, you can't target someone also in the top 12. That's not how it works. There's like a different splitting thing that has to go on here. People drafted Harrison Barnes between 80 and 110. I don't know where precisely you got him, but it's generally in that neck of the woods. He's number 12 right now, but people are like, okay, this is someone they took with their 8th, ninth round pick. I'm not giving you my first for him. Even if I think he's now better than an 8th or ninth rounder, which you know, probably will be over the course of the entire year, a little better than that, like maybe 7th rounder. The best you can aim for with him is probably a fifth. You have to understand sort of where the difference sits there. There is a name recognition element if you're trying to target someone high up the board. And there is a, well, what did you spend on this guy element? We're still, again, we're not even two weeks into the season yet. People are not going to fully trust the Harrison Barnes first round thing because he's only been doing it for six games in his career. At 30, or whatever he is now. So, anywho. Over on the Mavericks side, Maxi Kleba got off to a really nice start and then hurt his back. So, if you're a center on the Mavs, you're just going to hurt your back right now. That allowed Dwight Powell to play 33 minutes. He is very much a short-term streaming option with both Kleba and Kristaps Porzingis uncertain for the Mavs' next ball game. I would pick up Dwight in a Roto Games cap format. Not sure I would spend a weekly move in head-to-head on him, but if you do, you do. That's fine. He's probably got, you know, one, maybe two games before someone comes back. Maybe less, truly. Someone, Kleba or KP, might play in their next ball game. If that happens, then you just don't start Dwight, which... Again, for Roto, there's no moves cap. You just drop him without using him at that point. But if we find out both of those guys are out, Powell's probably looking at, you know, low to mid-30s in minutes. And as a rim-running center who can rebound and get some steals, it's almost impossible for him not to put up top 85 type of value in full starters minutes with a little bit of upside should he get a couple more looks than this one where he had a usage of 10 I think that was the lowest of anybody in the ball. No, just ahead of Mo Harkless. Just ahead. Otherwise, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith continues to miss shots right now, but that all feels very reversion-y. 13-6, two steals, a block, a three-pointer. You know, if he makes, he took 13 shots. If he makes one more or two more, or if he makes his free throws, we're talking about 15 points, 17 points, 18 points. Like, that's a big ball game. I do think he has a pretty clean path to that 90 to 100 range on the year, which in most competitive 12-teamers in 9-cat, that's useful. If you're in a slightly less competitive format, doesn't really move the needle that much because he's kind of boring. Luca had 23, 8, and 10, but he missed a bunch of free throws, and, you know, this is Luca. I know you guys hate me for it, but... I mean, I, I yelled at you, and I yelled at you, and I yelled at you. He's number 77 right now, and he'll come up from that. But he's really like a 30-range guy in nine-category leagues. That's just how it is. And uh, Tim Hardaway was pretty good there. Utah beat Milwaukee 107-95. There really isn't much on the Utah end of things other than to kind of point out everybody just sort of is what they are. Is what they is, are what they are. They are what they are. Rudy's in the 20s, Donovan's in the 40s, Conley is settling back into his 
slightly later valuation. Everybody is where they need to be. Conley in the 70s, not where he was drafted, pretty much. No surprises at all. The only surprise is that there isn't any surprise. Giannis is pretty good in their loss. Not many other guys were. Grayson Allen was actually solid, 18-6 and six with five three-pointers. You can continue to stream him. The news on the Milwaukee side that moves the needle is Bobby Portis. He had 15-5 and five in 19 minutes with Brooke Lopez still out indefinitely. Portis, as soon as his hamstring will hold up, is going to get 20-some-odd minutes of ballgame, and that's way more than enough for him based on his new ultra-high usage profile with the Bucks. Come off the bench and just go buck wild for however long you're on the floor. He'll be a top 80 guy while Brooke Lopez is out, and he was kind of he was hovering in that 100 range pretty much all of last year when Lopez was in. So pick him up if he was dropped. He wasn't in many of my spots, but he he is in some, I think. And then with George Hill, this may have been the last stand. It sounds like Drew Holiday is getting close. You could stream Hill for one more ball game if you wanted to, but I think as soon as we get the word that Drew is in, Hill has got to be out and dropped, most likely. Portland lost at Charlotte. Um, Blazers, Blazers are weird right now, and Dame took another step back after one good ball game. He did have 12 assists, but he is ice cold, and the injury rumors are swirling around Dame. Nobody has full confirmation on any of this stuff yet, but the longer he looks bad, the longer people are going to be talking about it. And I have to admit, I'm a little bit worried now because not not so much because he's not performing well, but if there really is an injury that is being covered at the minute at the the where we're at right now and then he ends up needing to take some time off to deal with that it explodes portland's chances to do anything in the western conference and then who knows what he's like coming back from it and you know if you spent your first round pick on dame then you're in real trouble if it's really just a slump then everything is fine but unfortunately i don't have the inside track on that to say whether the rumors are are true or not. Because I've heard him. You guys have heard him, and I know I've heard him too. If you're feeling saucy because of rumors swirling about Dame and because of his bad start, you could probably get him for like an overperforming third rounder right now, which is crazy to think that you could, I don't know, like what if you already had Kevin Durant on your team and then you could just add Damian Lillard to that? No problem. We'll just throw another first in there. KD's number eight, by the way. And by the end of the year, if Dame is healthy, he's probably inside the top 11, 10 again per game. But it does make me nervous with the rumor stuff going on. Anthony Simons had 19 points in limited minutes. You're not going to buy into that. And it's weird for me to then follow it up by saying Larry Nance had really good stuff in only 18 minutes. And you kind of are buying into that. Because slowly but surely, they're going to realize that Larry Nance Jr. is one of their better players. They are a better team when he's out there rebounding and passing and getting steals and mucking things up on defense and playing good transition defense. He's going to become kind of a a cult hero, and they're going to have to figure out ways to get him on the floor. And it's possible that the way that this happens is Cody Zeller goes down for three weeks, or Nurk goes down for three weeks, and they're just like, well, we got to play Larry. And then suddenly it's like, oh, by the way, Portland's winning now. It's not all about offense all the time. 
I'm holding on to Nance wherever I can. This game was more than enough for me to say he's holdable. I mean, this was one of the better fantasy lines in only 18 minutes yesterday. Norman Powell, he's ramping back up. 14-3-5, and five, a steal, a couple three-pointers. Need to see him get to the free-throw line a couple of times. That's where he can kind of butter his bread a little bit. And then the Rob Covington stuff. I need to try to squash a, a thing because for many years, we were kind of the Rob Covington fan club on this show. And I, I think I've said it before, but I'll say it again. We were like two rounds lower this year than last year on this podcast. It's why he wasn't really super debombsy this year because of guys like Nance and Zeller, because the Blazers did actually add front court depth, which meant Covington's opportunity to play was basically squeezed into just the power forward slot. And he's going to be extremely passive. He had one of the lowest usage rates of any player on any game yesterday. And if, so if he's not being sort of forced involvement, then he can just disappear. And then you desperately need a couple of defensive stats and a couple of three-pointers. And now we're talking about, is Rob Covington Matisse Thibel? Are they basically the same player at this stage? And they kind of are right now. Which means you should probably hang on to him because those guys get a ton of defensive stats and a few three-pointers. Rob, more than Matisse in that department. But also... The upside is capped. I had him as a much higher totals player. I think Rob plays in most of their games this year, so he gets like a, you know, 80 to 100 range per game, but might end up near 50 totals by playing like 78 at 82 games this year. And that's kind of the story on the Blazers right now. On Charlotte, if you put up a buck 25, people are going to have some lines. So LaMelo was good after a couple of slower games. Miles Bridges continues to just be unbelievable right now. Huge assist game to throw into his ledger. P.J. Washington looked good again. That's two in a row for him, although the minutes remain low, and he's splitting them exclusively at the five with Mason Plumley, who played more against the big Blazers front court. I do think that the Hornets are going to try to figure out a way to get Washington more run and kind of flip the balance there. But I don't know exactly when it's going to happen. And for that reason, you kind of have to hang on to P.J. Oubre got hot. I don't know when the hell that's going to happen. And generally, with Terry Rozier back, I would assume it happens less frequently now. But you kind of have to hang on after this big ball game. And then with Rozier back, you just plug him in and uh, let him get settled. Detroit, blown out by the Brooklyn Nets. You can pretty much throw this ball game out because everybody was bad. Olenek got 21 minutes. Isaiah Stewart only got 18. Stewart's a buy low. I don't know what it's going to take to get him right now, but I bet you could get him for a hot waiver wire type because someone's going to be pissed. Ooh, someone's going to be pissed. On the Brooklyn side, James Harden triple-doubled, so while nobody was paying attention, he pushed himself right back into the second round on a per-game basis, and he's still only shooting 40%. But free throws are starting to move in the right direction. He only had three in this ballgame, but he didn't need very many more. Shooting's trending in the right way. The rebounds, the assists, all that stuff is coming around. Everything's going to be fine. But you're basically at a spot with Brooklyn now where you can only start Harden and Durant. And then the Lakers got up by 25, 26 it might have been, and then just said, meh, we don't really need to play the fourth quarter. They ended up winning by 10, stopped scoring in this ballgame. Pretty much everybody besides Carmelo Anthony just stopped scoring in this game. Lakers did not take Houston seriously after opening up a giant lead. Uh, and then the Rockets ended up covering, which sent Twitter into a frenzy, but... I mean, the, the rule there is if you're going to back a double-digit favorite 
they better be a serious ball club. And the Lakers are not stepping on people's throats right now. They're figuring things out. So if they get up by a big lead, they're probably going to use that opportunity to figure things out a little bit. Give AD a little extra rest if you can. Give Braun a little extra rest. Try out some of the other bodies. Mix and match some lineups. See what happens. The Carmelo Anthony thing is really uh, wild. I don't know that any of us thought he was going to have a 27-minute-per-game role, even when Trevor Ariza and Kendrick Nunn and Taylor Horton Tucker all went down, but he literally cannot be taken out of the lineup right now. Melo's been amazing. He's shooting 50% from the field, uh, three-and-a-half three-pointers a game. He's averaging 1.7 combined defensive stats in this ridiculous twist, although a lot of that was yesterday when he had six of his defensive stats on the season. He had six coming into that ball game. But the giant three-pointers number is really where the cash is right now. And I think we all know that the 50% field goal is coming down. So just ride it while you can, because you're not going to get much or anything for him in a trade. And eventually the Lakers are going to get healthy, and his role is going to have to get smaller because they've got younger guys who can play better defense floating around. And they're going to want to get... I mean, Kendrick Nunn in particular is going to be a guy who gets a pretty good amount of minutes. Although maybe that hurts Avery Bradley more. But Ariza, that's basically a direct challenge to Mello and Kent Bazemore's minutes. But right now, um, you can play him. LeBron, AD, obviously you're playing those guys. Russ is the one that's sort of teetering in the balance. He was good enough to go in yesterday's game, but you just sort of hope that the bottom doesn't fall out on any given night. And then with Houston, oh, what a disaster of a of a basketball team. This is going to be a really long year for the Rockets because not only are they bad, but they're confusingly bad right now. Rockets one in five. They are a half game better than the Pelicans for the worst record in the Western Conference. Uh, and uh, Magic and Pacers are one and six in the East. But at that point, you're splitting hairs a little bit because the main point here is there is at this point kind of only one guy on the Rockets that you're trusting on a day-to-day basis. It was Christian Wood, and then he came out and just absolutely pooped his trousers at the free throw line yesterday, and the whole season's worth of work, which admittedly was only five games before last night, all of it kind of went up in flames in one game. Because he went out there and he was just atrocious at the foul line, one for seven, didn't get any defensive stats, so that also sort of artificially pulled that number down. And all of a sudden, he was 29th in the NBA before yesterday's ballgame. He's now 88th. That's a long way to go. But when you turn your free throw percent from 70 to 57 overnight, yeah, it ain't good for you. And this is, by the way, this is why I avoided Christian Wood, because he was getting drafted in the third round in places. And I said, I just can't. I don't know if he's going to be a high-volume, you know, 59% foul shooter, or if he's going to be a high-volume, like, 72. That's a colossal difference. You're a punt guy in one of those, and you're a, I can cover this up with one good early-round foul shooter in the other. You just don't know how to build your team with that sort of uncertainty. Extend it to some of the other players. Kevin Porter did have 13-9-4 with a couple of steals, so that covered up the issues for him a little bit, at least which six turnovers and a missed free throw in that ballgame. Um, he is currently the last-ranked porter, which is saying something because Otto is currently the highest-ranked porter 
Yikes. At 147, Michael's 154, Kevin is 215. Yowza. Eric Gordon has been the best rocket not named Christian Wood this year. But it's easy to complain. What do we do? Wood you hang on to. You have to. You spent a high draft pick on him, so you just got to sort of plump it in there, see what happens. Kevin Porter, you just pray to the good lords of fantasy basketball that you can show somebody 13, 9, and 4, two steals and a three ball, and they won't look at the percentages and the turnovers because he will destroy you, literally destroy you, in three separate categories. He is a full-on boulder tied to your leg in the deepest part of the ocean, the Mariana Trench. But you might be able to get something for him. People are asking me, should I drop Kevin Porter Jr.? And I'm like, well, technically, yes, but not technically, no, because so many people were speaking highly of him going into draft season that you ought to be able to still get something for him because there's enough hype around his name. Not here, man. I'll tell you what, we might miss on like a 10th or 11th round pick, but we certainly told you to dodge that one. Sometimes the ones you miss are more important than the ones you, well, I should phrase that better. Sometimes the guys you skip on is more important, actually, than the long shots you take that don't pan out. You probably had to get Porter with like a seventh round pick this year. There were other pretty good players going in the seventh round that aren't destroying your team. And honestly, at this point, it's better off to just have somebody you could drop easily at, at that juncture. Jay Shantae only 18 minutes. I actually, you know, fantasy wise, he actually wasn't that terrible in his 18 minutes. Six and six with a couple of blocks, but he's been bad so far this year. I mean, there's no sugarcoating that. I thought he would end up as one of the more trustworthy Rockets, but that hasn't been the case. He had a bad foul shooting stretch last year, but that hasn't been the issue this year either. He's just not getting any minutes. The steals haven't been there, and everything is just a disaster. I don't know that you need to hang on to anyone on this team besides Christian Wood. When I say have to, that doesn't mean go drop him, but I'm just saying... I get all these questions that are like, Dan, should I drop Jay Sean Tate? At this point, I'm like, I don't care. You can. Should I drop Kevin Porter Jr.? Yeah, I mean, you can. Like I said, you could probably get something for him because people still think there's some funky fresh goodness left in him. Should I pick up Aaron Gordon? I don't care. Probably the only thing really worth monitoring on the Rockets is Alperin Sengun, who at some point is going to get I don't know if he's going to get the starter's job at center, but he's going to get more minutes than Daniel Tice. And when that day comes, that's the time that you can unfurl the mighty Shengun on your opponents. And I get it. And actually, uh, shout out to Chris on Twitter who pointed this out. He's like, look, people are going to have him already. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, actually. That's spot on. He's averaging two and a half steals in 19 minutes a game. That number's coming down. The, the issue with Shengun right now is that while his per-minute production is, is very interesting, nine points, four and a half boards, two assists, three defensive stats in 19 minutes, he can't shoot at all yet. And he's turning it over a ton. Like, he's going maximum usage from a big man spot, which is pretty weird. I mean, the reason you like a young big man in the NBA is usually because they don't have to go high usage, and they become somewhat immunized against the stuff that plagues young ball handlers. High turnovers, bad shot selection, all that kind of stuff. 
If his minutes trend up by five or six, that would be enough usage to overwhelm the bad things because then you'll see enough scoring and rebounding and assisting whatever where it's like, okay, well, you know, bad field goal percent and a few extra turnovers, fine. That's not as big of a deal if he's a now a positive in more than just steals, basically, which is kind of where we're at right now. My philosophy on Shengun is don't be first to the watering hole there because everybody that drafted him or has him right now is going to be constantly looking at him at the end of their roster and saying, this is my guy that's ranked the lowest. I know he's going to get better as the season goes on, but I don't know when. How long can I squat on this player? It's much easier in a games cap format where you can just kind of treat him like an injured player, but in head-to-head, you throw him out there If the 10 steals a week ever goes away here at the beginning of the season, then he drops back towards the edge of the top 200, and then people are going to start getting frustrated. So I think there's going to be a frustration level that sets in before he gets the big minutes and the bigger role. You kind of want to be the second dude to the party. First to the party is hanging out by themselves on the couch. There's music playing, there's chips and dip out, but it's just the host looking awkwardly at you from the kitchen. You want to be the second dude or the, sec- or the third dude or whatever it is at the party. Shangun's probably going to get dropped in a good number of leagues before the big breakout. I don't know exactly when it's going to be, but with rookies in general, when teams really lean hard into the suckitude, it's usually after the year turns. So we might be two months away. Maybe it's a little bit less, but it really might be Christmas. Tonight, on the docket, as we pivot towards our homework assignments, it's a relatively large Monday, not huge, nine games. Portland's at Philadelphia. We've heard Joel Embiid is out for rest in this ballgame, so can Portland steal a win? Maybe. It's Andre Drummond time. If you've got him, this is the handcuff game you were waiting for. Deploy. Fire the parachute. It's ready. Portland, you're watching Rob Covington, Larry Nance. Dame's health, all that stuff. There's plenty to keep an eye on with the Blazers. They're kind of a homework assignment at this point, although I don't know that you have to necessarily watch it live if you don't want to. Because watching Philly play right now is kind of annoying to me. Matisse Thybul has seemingly done almost nothing, but he's number 58 thanks to 3.8 combined defensive stats, which is actually kind of sustainable for him if he's playing medium minutes but he hasn't gotten consistent media minutes. So it's almost a little bit surprising it stayed this high. Tyrese Maxey's been everybody's favorite stream, but he's number 99. He's actually been far lower than Thibel. And so they both end up kind of annoying me a little bit. But as we stand right now, Thibel's been the better stream just from a straight 9-cap value standpoint, even though he doesn't shoot at all. Tobias has been fine. Spurs are at Indiana. We saw Thad Young actually do a little bit of stuff. Keep one eye on that. I don't think he's going to get enough minutes this year, but you never know. For the Pacers, Malcolm Brogdon's health is going to be a big thing. Karis LeVert, his ramp up is going to be a big thing. They're going to have to fit some pieces together. And then did TJ McConnell start to find his footing a little bit in the second half of their last ballgame? Cavaliers, no Kevin Love for a little bit. Health and safety protocol, so that should free up Jared Allen for a good little run. That's fun. That's also probably more minutes for Lowry Markinen, a little bit more stuff in big man zone 
for Evan Mobley. It's just good for all of the Cavs that we already had on our rosters. Charlotte just feeling the pieces out right now. Ubre's role, PJ Washington's role. Toronto with no Scotty Barnes, most likely. He's doubtful. I'm assuming that means he's out. Guys don't generally play listed as doubtful unless they're upgraded from out to doubtful with like 20 minutes before the ball game. That usually means they're a coming. But this is not 20 minutes before the ball game. This was this morning. Does that mean there's now enough minutes for Chris Boucher? It's it's really possible actually, that some of those do go to Chris. He's been playing better. He's been playing more within the constructs of what the team wants to do. Do I have the stones to start him in a games cap format? Probably not. But this would certainly be the time to roll the dice if you were going to do it. Like, if you're falling behind a bunch of injured guys on your team and you need to play somebody you don't really want to, that would be the time. I hope we get a taste of it. I know there's always going to be the Barnes was out caveat, but everybody just needs to get a taste of Boucher with some usage in a few extra minutes. Just to remind you all of what he does when given a little bit of opportunity. Can Mitchell Robinson please block a shot? That's my only question about the Knicks. Wizards, Daniel Gafford's back. So that's something to watch. Front court, wings for Atlanta. Everything is rough. It's a Lou Williams reference, I guess. No, it's the wings on the court. The Hawks are just out of sorts right now. They'll be okay. But Atlanta just 3-3, three and three, and they look kind of listless. 1-3 and three on the road. They've won their home game, so maybe this will be a better one for them back on their own arena. Chicago, start the Stars. I don't think Caruso stays above the cut line. That, that steal rate is on its way down. Boston's favored by 2.5 in this ballgame, which is pretty weird considering how well the Bulls have played so far. But it sounds like the Time Lord and Marcus Smart are each now back for Boston. So maybe that helps them kind of get things back in line. Celtics just 2-4 and four out of the shoot. Not the start that they wanted with a whole bunch of overtimes under their belt. Guys are just getting beaten up right now. What else we got? Denver at Memphis. Will Michael Porter Jr. finally make a shot? This is certainly the game because Memphis has one of the worst defenses in the NBA. But we'll see. Can JJJ make a shot? Maybe those two guys will just go right at each other and they'll each go like 10 for 16 tonight. Come on! Is that so much to ask? Orlando will watch Chuma Kiki's minutes as they trend up little by little and what that does to a Franz Wagner, among others. Cole Anthony's been hot. Can that keep going? Minnesota, not much really. OKC, also not much. And then with the Clippers, Eric Bledsoe's been terrible lately. But I was listening to Brandon Marcus on the Hoopball Clippers podcast and he really pointed out like, this team needs Bledsoe, and they really need Reggie Jackson. Those guys have to do some more stuff on offense, and this would definitely be an opportunity for it against a brutally bad Thunder team. I'm actually okay with the Bledsoe drop. I, I think he has more upside than a lot of the guys on the waiver wire simply because he can pass. He can rebound a little bit. Steal rate is, has been high throughout his career up until the very last little bit. But he's been super cold, as has the entire team. Clippers seem somewhat guardable right now. So they got to get their chemistry going. And, you know, Reggie Jackson, I'm going to give a longer leash to than Bledsoe, simply because Reggie, he's number 149 right now. But he's number 149 because he's an ultra high volume 31% shooter at the moment. If that even gets up to 40% and you add another third to everything he's doing, he's going to approach 20 points per game. That's crazy to think. Like, I think Reggie Jackson probably is an 18-point-per-game guy this year. 
And then you get 18 points, three plus, three pointers, four boards, four assists, and a little under a steal on good foul shooting. He moves up real fast. It's pretty easy to go from 150 to 100 in fantasy rankings because those guys just aren't separated by much. In fact, the difference between 150, where Reggie Jackson is right now, and 100, where, believe it or not, it's Maxi Kleba and Scotty Barnes right now, the difference in player value is the same as going from uh, 29 to 18, or 19 even. Like, it's 10 spots when you get into the good players, and those guys move around pretty quick. So 50 slots, that's one big game. It's the same story for Michael Porter Jr. He's one big game from being number 90. He's like three big games from being number 55. This all changes quick. It's why this buy low stuff and sell high stuff is so relevant in the first couple weeks because the numbers bounce around so much. And that's that. Hit me up again on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Would love to hear from you guys. Drop me the follow. Hit me up if you want to work out here at HoopBall. And please do drop a five-star review on the podcast. Would be most appreciative of that. I just had my premium Discord chat before recording today's pod. Help everybody get ready for their new week of action here on Monday. If you are a HoopBall premium subscriber, Fantasy Pass, DFS Pass, Wager Pass, HoopBall 360, All Fantasy, Old School, whatever action bundle, whatever you might have on the monthly, you got to get into Discord, man. It's where we have all of our analyst access day and night, rain or shine. And if you don't have a premium sub, there's no lock anymore. There's no six-month lock because we're through draft season. You could just get it for one month for six bucks, see if you like it, and if you feel like the pros are really helping you build your team out, keep it going. There's also advantages to getting it now and letting it run year-round. You get early bonuses during draft season as well the next time around. So lots of good stuff over at the Hoob as well. That's hoop-ball.com or at hoopballfantasy on Twitter. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, everybody. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. 32 out of 36 in a row. What have we done? What have we done? Oh, well, on to the next one. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.